this warfare. Many times I have failed him. I wish I could call back many a day. But there's one thing I'm asking. Please don't judge my heart's intentions by some fault or failure you've seen on my way. I may have lost the fight, but I've not lost the battle. And I may be wounded, but I'm still marching on. I'm not a hero, just a tired, trembling soldier. Beneath this armor beats the heart of a seen me so strong and victorious. The enemy was slaughtered down at my feet. But holding a sword was a hand that was trembling, for I knew that alone. I ain't preaching. I, yeah, I'm telling the truth. Here we go. Watch me. 
I came here with about five sermons in the front of my Bible. I got one clipped in here. I got a Bible, this Bible I preached all over the world with this thing. I got probably 50 sermons outlined in here. And I was sitting back there like going, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And nope, not that one. And nope, not that one. So I'm going to have to go to Luke 13. Then we're going to go to the maps and take a look at Take a trip to the Holy Land. He's preaching on the women with issues of blood. I was teaching uh, homiletics at Bozeman State. And after I preach a minute, you're going to find out why they quit asking me to teach homiletics. But uh, that's not the cause. That's me. And this young, young black man got up and preached. And I'm sitting in the back. I had a little a survey form I'd use. And I'd have him preach. And I'd critique the preaching and help him with some stuff and these things. And he gets up. And he went to Mark chapter 5. He said, I'm going to preach on a woman with an issue of blood. I don't know how homo let him. I said, son, son, we don't homo nothing here. All right, it's, it's homiletics, okay? Homiletics, not homo letics. We, we, we ain't none of that, okay? We're good. I am from California, but we ain't none of that, all right? Oh, yes, sir. He said, homiletically, I don't know how homiletically correct this is, but I'm going to preach a sermon on the woman with an issue of blood. Here's my sermon. <laughs> I gave him an A. I said, terrible, terrible exegesis. Terrible. There you serve me, son. I pulled the outline down. I'll preach it next time I get a chance. Let's stand together, Luke chapter 13 and verse number 6, please, if you would. <coughs> I was preaching at a youth conference in Southern California last week. And so when you, you have the kids stand up and they go, oh, uh, 13 year old. I mean, what's your problem, man? Oh, they stay up all night playing video games and everything else. And then I preached for the church on the Sunday, and I was talking about Judas and how he held the bag. And I said, no, he, he wasn't holding Nancy Pelosi, so don't worry about that. And two women on the front row got mad, got up and walked out of the church. And that church, that church was gun barrel straight. Can you imagine that? And uh, I, I told the preacher, I, I feel sorry for I said, they make you mad tonight. I can hit a moving target as well as a camera sitting still. So that's not a problem. Luke 13, verse number 6. I speak also of this parable. Jesus taught 51 parables. A parable, you know, is a, a truth that's drawn from everyday circumstance, event, or situation in life. Nobody, but nobody ever knows it. You know, you think about it, the richness of this parable and the depth of it. God's people would do a little meditation. Now, I'm not talking about shaving your head, burning incense, and playing tambourines with your girlfriend. I, I mean, meditate like the Bible says. Chewing cow, chewing his cud. Think on it. Think on these things. Get, get this stuff and break it down in your mind and let the Word of God work in your heart and your life. It's not as exciting as grown men who play video games. Let me tell you, God, listen to me here. You play video games, you need a hormone check.
And George spent time with him getting to know him. So praise the Lord for that. So this certain man had a fig tree that he then planted in his vineyard. Now he comes to that fig tree and he wants fruit. And hey, look at me. He never talks about the quality of the tree. He never talks about how shiny the bark is, how big the leaves are, how appealing the tree is. He's got one interest. He wants fruit on this tree, fig tree. So not good. It's very simple. He's got a fig tree. He's planted his fig tree, his fig tree in his vineyard. And he wants fruit on that fig tree. And when he doesn't find it, he can't. And notice the patience. Three years. Three years to get figs. No figs. But he gives it three years. After three years, he says, okay, that's it. That's it. No fruit. It goes to the vine dresser. Take that fig tree. Cut it down. It's no use to It's taking up room and space. It's cumbering the ground. It's wasting space and time and everything else. Just cut it down. The vine dresser steps in and says, Lord, could we do this? Would you let me dig and dung about this thing? Work on it a little bit. And then if it bears fruit, well, after that, we will cut it down, sir. So the parable of the fig tree is the parable of God's expectations of us. We got all these expectations of God. And we should because he's a great God. And you can't out-expect God. You just can't. Oh, he's merciful. He's loving. He's kind. He's patient. He's a wonderful Heavenly Father. My dad is a Baptist preacher. Ran over with one of the women of the church. Mother turned a drink, became a drunkard. I grew up at home with a drunken stepfather. Used to beat us. Pastor in the city where I now pastor. Lived in a drunkard's home in that house and slept under the bed most of my childhood. I didn't know what a real dad was until after I went and lived with my grandfather, my grandmother, godly people who cared for us and watched over us. When somebody told me that God loved me, for God so loved the world, that that, that captured me as a nine-year-old boy. I don't have issues of saying, well, what's wrong with God in my life and my child? I don't understand people whine about their childhood. You say, well, you just don't understand. Oh, I totally understand. We turn this whole stinking thing into a big Oprah session if you want to. And start talking about all our troubles and our difficulties. The bottom line is, hey, that first of all, that's under the blood. That's gone. But more importantly than that, see, when I found out that God loved me and he would be my heavenly father, but as many as received him, to them gave me power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. I didn't just see my dad leave us. I never saw him leave us the first time. I was one year old in mother's arms on the front row. When he walked out the back door, met a woman, ran off with her. I didn't see that. I was a year old, but I saw it again later on. Second wife, he ran off and left her. Third wife ran off and left her. He was married five times. Man, you might as well put a zipper on my dad. He's in and out so many times. It's unbelievable. But the bottom line is, you see, I, when someone told me God would be my heavenly father, if I got saved, the fear of hell and the love of God brought me to my salvation. Amen. Notice the order. Well, in this parable, ladies and gentlemen, look here. The, the, the owner of the fig tree and the vineyard, that's God the Father. The fig tree, well, that's you. People have all these expectations of God. Well, I know God loves me, and he does. Oh, God's mercy, and it is amazing. Grace, amazing, wonderful. Forgiveness, incredible. Nobody ever forgives you like God does. That's amazing. Boy, you want to talk about, tell people all this stuff they can expect from God, and they just sit there like little birds with a little mouth open saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Tell me more of what I can get from God. Tell me more of what I can have from God. Tell me what more I can receive from God. Tell me what I'm saying the prayer of Jabez. He'll give me a Cadillac. Go, just give me this. Give me that. Tell me what I can get from God. But can you start talking to people and say, now here's what he wants from you. 
whoa now, whoa now. Then you start, then you start seeing, hearing the brakes. You hear the brakes coming on. Ah, wait a minute. I mean, he expects something from me. That's what this parable is. Hey, friend, look at there four short. Let me count them on two, three. Yeah, the four. Four short verses right here. He nails this thing down. This is what God expects. He is the master of the vineyard. It's his vineyard. It's his fig tree. That's you. That's you receiving as a child of God. And he puts that fig tree in that vineyard. And notice what he does. He comes and he has the audacity to expect something from that fig tree. I came to our church for a little bit, and I went to visit him. And then he had come for a while. I said, been missing you. How you doing? He goes, I'm not coming back. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Could I ask why? He goes, sure. He goes, you're trying to change me. Guilty. He goes, God, that I think you're trying to brainwash me. Guilty. Take that little coconut brain out of your head up there, my friend, the little walnut baby, the box around like me, you know, box car, scrub that real good, stick it back in your head and get you back in life again like you're supposed to be. Yeah, that's right, brother. Pump brain, we need some brainwashing. Boy, he didn't like that idea of trying to mess with his living. We were getting ready to build our church buildings now. We had, I knew we were fixing about 3.2, 3.3 million in the building project. I had two millionaires in our church at the time. Nice to have two millionaires in church when you started a building project. You know, you want to know how to get rid of two millionaires in your church? Start a building project. Just like he's watching his bank accounts go right out the window, just like that. Hey, by the way, we built them buildings anyhow. Uh, one guy told me, one millionaire, he said, you know, I like to preach and pastor. My, 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 my daughter's got saved here. My son got saved here. My uncle got saved here. All that kind of stuff. He goes, but I don't think I'll do anything but preach the gospel. All the rest of that stuff, I don't see the point in it. Well, that, the gospel is the crown of the book, but there's a few other jewels in that crown. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me how you start talking about what God expects from you, and you get Christians going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's go back and talk about that mercy I get, that grace I get, that forgiveness I get, that love unlimited. All this talk about that God. Let's talk about God and all I can get from God. How I can get received. Okay, here it is. Here's God's expectations. child of God, right? What, what? No, you're not that you're not your own. You're bought with a prize. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's external, internal. If you ever wonder about that thing about your life and you're supposed to live, what's more important in my living? In holiness, good old holiness. Holy is a wonderful word. It's a greater thing to live by. We need more of it in our practice. When you start talking about how you're supposed to live a holy life, what is the most important church tonight? Externals or internal? Which one? Both of them. That's the problem. We think that one is more important than the other one. Uh-uh. Body and spirit. That's external, internal. That's both of them. Okay, that went over like a ham sandwich at a Jewish picnic. But here we go. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, dear friend, you understand He owns you. No, no, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I mean, I'm a child of God. And, and no, 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 no. He owns you. He bought you. You've been redeemed by God. Hey, you've been bought with a prize. That precious blood of Jesus Christ has bought you. 
At the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, He claimed you as His own. And yeah, you did become a child of God, but you belong to Him. Some of the parenting we're seeing going on nowadays, I think some of these kids forgot who they belong to. And parents have forgot to remind the kid who they belong to. Son, I want you to take out the garbage. Well, Dad, I'd like to take out the garbage, but Dad, if I remove the refuse from the domicile to the refuse removal super center, Dad, I will not feel good about myself. And I probably won't be in touch with my inner child. And so, Dad, because I do not want to denigrate my self-image and remove the refuse from the domicile to the refuse removal receptacle, Father, I will have to decline your invitation. Now, where my people come from, here's how this would work. You're going to be in the trash if you don't get the stinking trash out the door and in the trash can. Your little spinny legs going to be sticking out of that trash can like that. Because I'm going to take that bag of trash. If I have to take it out, I'm going to take that bag of trash. And I'm going to take you out there and I'm going to go, what? Stick you in that trash can. Put that trash can on top of you and hope that the garbage man will come pick you up. Now shut your mouth and take out the trash. Slightly aggravated. 
I'll shoot you, drag you in the house, put a butcher knife in your hand, and shoot you again. The truth is, see, here's the thing. Our, now look at me. Our God, everybody's going, yeah, that's right. I'm touching my truck, man. Okay, fine, fine, good. Don't, don't touch your truck. Don't touch your stuff. But then the God of heaven, us with the precious blood of Jesus. And not only does he save us, he secures us with that blood. Well, God, I love that salvation security thing. Well, a lot of Christians think salvation security are two different things. It's the same doctrine. You you pull one, you pull the other one. Yeah, you, you pull security, you're messing with salvation. You're not messing with the doctrine of security. You're messing with salvation. Because he saved you, he sealed you, and secured you, and kept you. That's right. Lord, you better be nodding your head out there now. You better want to get. Maybe you don't have salvation. Maybe you got one of those down payment salvations where you trust Christ and you got to hold out faithful to the end and work out. Well, I got news for you. You ain't been holding out faithful. You didn't hold out faithful. You won't hold out faithful. But he will. Okay, so there's the possession thing. So it's, watch me now. It, and if, you, if we can't get past this point until we establish it in our minds, his expectations of me are because I belong to him. And he has the right to do with me what he deems, desires, and wants because he's God. Maybe we need a revival of just knowing who God is anymore. They've denigrated into just one of us. Who wants a God like us? I don't want a God like us. Flying on an airplane out here, I had to fly through Las Vegas. Almost got the motel and took a shower. Didn't have time. I was going to take a shower. Just drop. I, I never fly through Las Vegas. It's the only way I get there and get uh, uh, travel from California. Get there. Uh, get here tonight. What a mess! And that's a guy from California saying, "What a mess!" Now you think about that for a moment. But you know what, what is what is up with Christians who all of a sudden are so glad to have salvation. When God starts to lay the ground down about some expectations, go, whoa, 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 now wait a minute, uh-uh, whoa, 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 stop, stop, you're not your own. I said you're not your own. I said you're not your own. I said you're not your own and you're bought with a price. I said you're not your own and you're bought with a price. And therefore, you're to glorify God in your body and your spirit. That means it's his body, it's his spirit, it's his life, it's my. It's not mine, I'm not my own. So Jesus' expectation is the expectation of possession. We can nail that down in our thinking. Okay, God, whatever you want, whatever you say, I belong to you. That's how it works. Preacher's talking about being in the military. And there's always this inner service rivalry thing uh, between the branches of the military. You know, except the Coast Guard, because nobody takes them seriously. But anyway, the point is, anybody in the, anybody in the Coast Guard? When I was in the Air Force, we, we made fun of them. Now, that's pretty bad. <laughs> we call them the chicken of the sea. But anyway, anyway there's always in a robbery in the military. But it's just one thing you learn about in the military. You shut up and do what you're told. That's, that's what boot camp is. Shut up and do what you're told. And those guys, you know, those guys, those smoky bear hands, even in the Air Force, they're not real kind. Okay, gentlemen, because we just sort of line up. Let's get the tall guys there. short people, this is not a statement. We will line up behind the tall people in the front. And that's what he's saying. We do this and then let's go do lunch. Hey, Megan! Fall in! And we're like, what am 
I like to mess around with the boys in our church. Every one of them got, 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 seriously, has got bruises from here to here on both legs because I dead leg them all the time. Pinch them, poke them. So these boys need it. My grandmother could whoop them. My grandmother could whoop them. She'd been dead 12 years. And this one boy, teenage boy, he went to his mom and said, I don't like it when the preacher does that. So she told me, and I said, okay, but not, not a problem. I don't want you, you know, have a rupture or anything. So you're, you're good. You know what the kid did, Brother Tony, when he graduated from high school? He said, I want to go in special forces now. <laughs> I said, kid, you don't like it when I knee you. You won't make it through book here. You will not make it. Well, I, I want to try. I said, okay. Two weeks. They had him in a mental ward because he was about to lose his mind. I had to get him back to his mom. That's got to do with this point either. I, I'm running tonight. I've been up since three o'clock. We could be here to midnight. I'm, I'm going I'm to move on now. The point is, look at me. The point is, here's the expectation of position. He has the right to tell us what to do. When you saw, you, you did your oath. Remember the oath you took when you joined the military? Were you even? I don't even know. I was there. It was the '60s. I was there, but I don't remember a whole lot. I showed up in a pair of. I was Southern California. It was one of the peaks that day. I was out of the will of God. I had my Hawaiian shirt on, my jam shorts, I was barefoot. And I'm, I'm laying on the front row of the, of the place to sign up. And this Marine lieutenant walks in to get us to swear in to join the military. And he looks down at me and he goes, what branch are you going into? I said, Air Force. He goes, good! <laughs> you raised your hand, you swore, you would join. You know what you did? You just gave up your rights. One of the first things they tell you boot camp is you ain't got no rights. You're not petitioning squat here. Squat means nothing in military terms. You're not petitioning anybody. You're not protesting anything. You're going to shut your mouth and you're going to do what you're told. You see, yeah, but that's the military. Last time I checked, we wear armor of God. We're supposed to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You know, people got a different idea about the Christian life. He has the right of possession. Number two, he has the right of expectation of placement. He put the fig tree in his vineyard. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but wait a minute. People, now there's vineyards out in California all over the place. Have you ever seen a vineyard? Have you ever seen a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard? Those rows are perfectly straight. You go up and down those hills. You'll never see a tree in the middle of a vineyard. So what's he doing putting a fig tree in the middle? Here's what it is. Hey, hey, it's his victory. That's his vineyard. That's his dirt. That's his sunshine. That's the rain that comes down from heaven, which we ain't got in California because if we had our governor, you wouldn't let it rain either. The truth of the matter is, here's the deal. So the truth, you look at me. I've been calling him, I've been calling him uh, Governor Mingala lately because he wants to import all these people to come kill their babies in California. That's, that's, that's worse, something worse than the Nazis did. Don't you think you're going to get in trouble? I ain't afraid of no punk like that. But anyway, here's the point. So it's his victory in his vineyard. Why would he look at me? Why would he put something like that in a place that just doesn't seem to fit? Now watch me. Now watch me. You know what he, you know what he, you know what he, he explained it right there. Didn't he explain it right there? Uh-uh. You know why? Because he doesn't.
questions. All right, Lord, all right, Lord. Hey, hey, August 14, 1965, what was that all about? Jimmy Carter, come on, explain to me what was this all about. And all you people from the South make fun of California. You gave us Jimmy Carter. We gave you Ronald Reagan. Shut up. That's all I want to say. Okay. When I'm in Illinois, I do the same thing. You gave us Obama. We gave you Ronald Reagan. Shut up about that one. Okay, good. The truth is, people look at me. See, he doesn't have to explain everything. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love it when my grandchildren ask me questions. Grants, how come the sun shines? Because it's there. Let's go on and have some tea. It's fascinating to me. I said, well, kid, you're four years old. Three and a half years ago, you're sitting there with peanut butter in your diaper, and you didn't know anything that's going on. And all of a sudden, you're a rocket scientist. The sun shines. Who cares? Let's go. People go around going, if God could just explain to me some of the things that happened to me, am I like, okay, let's back up a second. Have you forgotten who God is? No, no, he doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. And in the, Jesus said, in that day, ye shall say nothing. I do believe we speak at the judgment bars of God, but I do believe this. Ain't nobody up there questioning God. Well, hey, that's not fair. You shouldn't have done ah, No, no, it's God and you, and you're going to do the question and answer it, and he's going to ask the questions, and he's what? But not only in that life, that goes for this life. I wasted my whole teenage years and four years in the military with a chip on my shoulder because I felt like God did me wrong because my preacher daddy around with one other church was drinking, drunk, and living in All that junk, I thought, you know what? That just isn't fair. And man, the people in this world today are so stupid. They'll take a person like that and pat them on the back and make them feel sorry. Oh, you poor boohead. Look at the childhood you I tell you what, I can't abide, brother. I cannot abide young people raised in a Christian home and family. You didn't get perfect parents because nobody gets one of those. You'll get to be a parent someday and show us how it should have been done. That'll that'll be wonderful. But a kid raised in a Christian home and family, parents try to love to do right by it, and they resent them. I can't can't do that. I'm sorry. I understand the kid who talked about background and kind of chip on his shoulder. He still needs to get over that, too, by the way. But I don't get the childhood pump. I don't get the Christian pump thing. I don't get that. I don't understand it. I don't, it doesn't comprehend my little finite mind up here how that works. Because you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. God doesn't have to answer our questions. Is it wrong to ask God that? Jesus asked, why on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here's where the wrong is in asking. Question God, why you're asking? Because you think he did something wrong. You think he's got to justify himself to you. God didn't have to justify nothing to you. Are you are you clear about that now? You better let him out. You better not. You know, uh, I kind of took him off the phone. You can't do that. You can only do that in your little mind. It's why do you ask the question? Number two, you know why it's wrong to question God. Accept the answer. You might ask him why, and he might just let you know. And then you'll find out. You know, a man and his wife, God called him to preach. She would go. She refused. She said, You go, but I'm not going. He said, Well, I can't go without you, so he didn't follow the call of God. He got cancer. He got so sick with cancer. Shovel picked up stove, pail, and burned it to death because I didn't want 
That's just all I got to say about that. I love these guys in the South. Well, you ain't got no men fundamental Bible church out there. Come on. Well, then get your worming carcass out there and help us. Some dude looked like Otis from Andy Griffin. Got sweat rings on his belt loops from having his pants up around his armpits. Goes to family reunions to pick up dates, and he's making fun of California. Come on. Family tree goes in a straight line. Some queer's gonna hit you with his, with his purse. I mean, what's he? Come on, people. Seventy-some percent of America's table produce is grown in San Joaquin Valley, California. Those are farmers. Okay, let me leave that alone. The expectation of productivity. He expects us to bear fruit. Hey, he doesn't care what the tree looks like. He wants fruit. Well, as long as you make it look good. No, 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 no. That could be the scraggliest, nastiest looking tree you could imagine on the planet, and he would still expect figs on his fig tree. Because you're supposed to bear fruit, you understand. Now, there's seven types of fruit in the Bible. We'll go through all of them because I already went too long on the first point. There's the fruit of souls, fruit of perfection, fruit of increase, fruit of the spirit, fruit of righteousness, fruit of thanks, and the fruit of holiness. Those are the fruits God expects of us. And which of those fruits should we manifest, church? Which ones? All of them. And when he looks at our life, he expects us to manifest all of them. Not the ones we like, not the ones that are appealing to us, not the ones we care for, but all of them. He expects us to be fruit-bearing Christians. And I got news for you. He's not happy if you're not bearing fruit. He's not pleased if you're not bearing fruit. He doesn't care how nice you look when you go to church, and please look nice. He doesn't care whether or not you put on a good presentation, but please get on a good presentation. But what he's looking for is fruit. When's the last time you led a soul to Christ? One soul. The average Christian will live and die and never lead one soul to Christ. Can't go all the, through all the fruit tonight, but here's the deal. He expects productivity. Number next, verse number eight. So then he goes to the vine dresser. And by the way, I didn't set that. The vine dresser to me is either the Lord Jesus or the Holy Spirit. They're partners, so that may be the difference, but you can figure out which one you want. If you think it's one and not the other one, you're probably wrong, and I'm probably right. Verse number eight. The vine dresser, verse 8 says, And he answering, the vine dresser, he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year till I shall dig about it and done. That's the expectation of preparation. He expects us to understand he's going to be working on us. See, what you, what, you, what you fear is God working on you. What you ought to fear is God not working on you. How can, how can you go to the church like this and the churches you all, you all folks come from? How can you do that? Sit there Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday in, Wednesday out, revival meeting, revival meeting out, and sit there and never get moved one time to go to an altar and get on your face and say, Dear God, what can I do? So, see, and, and we preachers have got to be careful. You know, we go, Oh, the altar was full, it must have been a great service. Well, maybe that's the case. I preached meetings. Brother Tony probably has to. I preached meetings before where it seemed like it was cold as a fish. But then all of a sudden, it starts to break loose. People get saved. God starts to move. My point is this. Do you give us evidence of it? No. Do you know that God is working on you? How's he do it? Watch this. Dig and dung. Are you with me? That dig means take something out. With, with a shovel or a pick. You're my neck of the woods, California, northern California, where I am. There's volcanoes around there, and it's ruined the soil. It's not agricultural areas. It's timber areas. Beautiful trees till Bill Clinton came along and shut down all the plants and uh, the ones there. But the truth is, the soil's bad. It's really bad. You have to amend this soil to make it work. And it's so nice to be able to put a shovel in there. 
pull out some stuff because where I am is called about a couple of times I take palm, palm, and then you have he's going to take some things out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but if he owns you, that's okay, right? He can take that. Right? He can take that. He can take out what he wants to take out. He can, look at me. He can take from you what he wants to take from you. Because after all, it ain't yours, it's his. Because remember, I was bought with a price, you were bought with a price. Are you bought with a price? Are you bought with a price? Do you understand then that everything I have belongs to God? Before I go to bed every night, I always check all the doors and everything else. I'm in town this week, so I tell my wife a short reminder once again. She's a good shot. We have men in our church that uh, can qualify you for a seal weapon permit. Where we are in California, our part, we're a very good Second Amendment used to be you just put in there, why do you want a gun? It's a concealed weapon permit, you know, because I want one. And it was good enough. No kidding. I'm in Alaska, and this man, I'm leaving the men's meeting in Alaska, this guy hands me in his display case a 44 Ruger Black Hawk, 44 Magnum Ruger Black Hawk, gold-plated pistol, engraved with the, the, the likeness of the men, Fairbanks, who found the Fairbanks, Alaska. Things worth like so he gives it to me. He says, you know, the Lord told me to give this to you. I said, the Lord told me to take it. Yeah, I'm telling you what, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Brought it home. I thought, well, I got a pussy pistol. So I go into an ammo store. Big box of 44 bags. Guy goes, oh, you got to do a little target shooting? I said, nope, go downtown pick off a few people. He looks at me and he goes, that'll be 18 Bad man. <laughs> That's my part of California. There are places like that out there. Okay, are you with me? You know, it fascinates me. People is weak. Somehow or another, we get this idea. So I, I go around and tell my wife where the pistols are. I told her, you know, the door. It's got like the cross in the Bible form on it. Somebody's on that door banging. You made the door. That, you see that right there? Make that X. That's a purple shot. I said, don't fool her and just keep going with it. Then call the cops. So I always check before I go to bed. I go out and check all the doors anyway to make sure everything's locked. And we got a nice neighborhood. It's not a problem. Well, one night I didn't, and I left the garage door open. And I leave the keys in my car. Yeah. Opened the garage door in the morning, looked out there, and my car was there. I saw the garage door was open. I ran around that car. My golf clubs were still there. Oh, okay, we're good. All right. Take the skating car, but leave them stinking clubs alone, Jack. You can't mess with my golf clubs. Can, can, can God take anything from you about your, about that which you, you love and care about? Can he do that? Because see, he can do that for you.
getting my garden ready this year and uh, preparing it and everything else. I got my cow, my cow manure. Got my granddaughters out there, two-year-old. Uh, pull that bag over. Put your head in there. Smell that baby. She goes, excuse me. I said, yes, baby, but watch what that's going to do to me and this place. You need to watch that right there. You won't mess with this. <laughs> my one-year-old granddaughter, I got this work the manure in the soil. Got the plants planted. My one-year-old granddaughter, Caroline. She's over here on the other side of the garden box. I'm trying to go, baby, what you doing? She's kind of going, no, 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 no. And we'll forbid it. She's two feet tall now. It's unbelievable. <laughs> She's been dumb. <laughs> yeah. I said, Caroline, don't do that to her. <laughs> Dookie hanging out for Keep an eye on him. I was. The kid was hungry. She wanted a snack. It's no big deal. Dung it. That's putting something in there you don't really want. Can you imagine taking something from you you do want and then giving you something you don't want? Because you know why? You can't see the benefit of it at the moment. You can't see that. Now we planted them little plants and got everything in there, and the kids are all standing there going, they're watching it. I go, well, you know, it doesn't work that fast. you got to give it a little more. It's going to grow. Get about six feet high. Good ripe tomatoes like that squash. But not right away. It's going to take a while. But they can't see that because all they can see is those little things. How immature are we when we look at something that God allows in our life and we think, well, I just don't see the benefit of that. Well, you can't because you don't have the internal view. Hey, you're not, on the, you're not on the throne of heaven. You can't see that. Do you think I did when I was a boy laying there hiding underneath my bed from a drunk stepfather? I said, oh, boy, one day I'm going to have a blessed, wonderful life. I had no idea. None whatsoever. I remember there beating my mom and I lay there at night, hot tears run down my cheeks. And I think, is this the way my life is always going to be? I was just a little boy. I didn't know anything. I had no idea that one day God would give me a life and a wife and kids and grandchildren and ministry and church and the life he has given. I could not have imagined it in my wildest dreams. Oh, but it was in the mind of God. And he saw that. So I had to have a little tongue for a while. You have to have a little tongue, folks. You got to have a little stuff you don't want because the God of heaven is the great master. He's the great owner of the fig tree. He's the great owner of the vine dresser. He's the great owner of the vineyard. He knows what's coming. You let him you let him put stuff in there you don't want. You give him time. Woo! He had made everything beautiful in his time. Amen. One more thing. We're done tonight. Here we go. Verse number nine. He also has the expectation of what? If it doesn't bear fruit, we're going to cut it down. Look here now. Look at me. That's the expectation of purging. Now, he'll never take your salvation away from you. But he may well have to take you home because you won't do what you're supposed to do. Much of what we lose as Christians, we probably shouldn't have to lose. And it is not digging and dunging. It's God coming along and clipping things in our lives that cause us to depend on somebody or something else that we depend on him. Shame, shame on you if you sit around the mailbox waiting for God to show up the first and fifteenth of the month. You get up off your bus and behind you get a job and you pay for what you get. Shame on us. Shame on us in America that they're teaching our socialism to our people. That somehow or another government is the great God of heaven. I don't want their stinking money. I don't want them to provide for my needs. God of heaven has been taking care of me. Oh, you live in hand to mouth? Yeah, buddy. His hand, this mouth, and look at here. It ain't going too bad. You know what I'm saying? 
mentality for a belly button. Look like a butterball turkey, man, like I'm done. You know, and boom, pops out like that. You got to be kidding me. After 9 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin. You, you, think, you think, well, God's kissing me. He's probably whooping you. you if, listen to me. Don't think you Job when you're Job. You're going to get mixed up. Well, I, I, must be, I must be Job. I'm going through all these things in my life. Maybe you're going to be checking for some well blower. You know what I'm saying? Meet up. Get a fishy smell. You got the wrong boy. You are not Job. You're Jonah. He's whooping you like a red-headed stepchild to teach you that he has to understand because he's purging some things in your life. Much of what I think we lose in our lives, we wouldn't have to lose if we just do what God would let us do. And let him work in our lives. He's purging us. Because, see, you know why? Because he's mad at you and he hates your guts. No. You know what? God gets honor out of a fig tree in a vineyard that bears figs. God gets honor. People would drive by and go, is that the dumbest vineyard dude you ever saw in your life? somehow or another where you are is so difficult. There's no easy place on this planet to do what God wants you to do and bear the fruit you're supposed to bear. So stop the way ambulance. Get off the way ambulance. You got to tease with all that why because I can't do this. Because my mom put my diaper on too tight when I was little. My brother shaved my head and called me bald and showed pictures of my first girlfriend. And I can't live it anymore. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. And I can get a bicep. I can't my Knives are closed, we turn over the pastor. 